If you have your Bibles, take them and turn them to Colossians chapter 2. We're finally moving on to chapter 2. I do want to apologize to Steve for just absolutely butchering the beginning of this service. That was not the plan, and it, and it, was, it was all my fault how that went. I also do want to just praise the Lord for our outreach yesterday morning. We had a great turnout of people who came to serve, and it was terrible weather. Uh, I don't know if you, you looked at what it looked like outside around 10 a.m., but the Lord provided and it cleared up for us. But I just want to encourage you guys to be praying for all the homes that we reached. I mean, over, you know, I don't know how many probably, but over, well over 100, 200 homes were egged if you will, put an egg on their front step, and I'm just praying for fruit out of that, and, and I want to encourage you guys to be inviting people to Easter, um, not just inviting, but, but bringing up conversations about Easter, asking, hey, what do you think Easter means? What do you think we're celebrating on Sunday in your homes and in your workplaces and with your friends? And A part of your evangelizing and outreach personally, invite them to come here. Uh, you know, as you guys know, it's a big cultural day, not just a cultural day for us, though, it's much bigger than that. Um, and so we're going to celebrate the resurrection. I want to invite you guys to do that as well. Um, and be praying for all those homes we touched yesterday. Colossians chapter one, chapter 2. Sorry, we've been in chapter 1 for so long. Chapter 2 is our text this morning, verses 1 through 5. As we come to God's word now. Beginning in verse 1. For I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love, to reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word now. Humbled by the cross. What you did for us, Lord. Your response to our sin. The mercy and and grace and love you've shown us. And that mercy and grace and love is seen in this passage as well. So God, I pray through the power of the Holy Spirit, through your word, Lord, that you can speak to your people this morning. God, I pray this is not of me. I pray this is not my wisdom, my knowledge. But God, it's Christ. It's your wisdom and your knowledge. So Holy Spirit, use this word to, to build up your people. God, I pray that we can present every person here mature in Christ on that day that's coming soon. So God, Holy Spirit, be here among us. Use this word for your glory as you promised that you would do. We're claiming your promise this morning. In your name, Jesus. Amen. Today's message is entitled, How to Not Deconstruct. It's a popular term going around today that describes... Really something that's been going on for thousands of years. But 
But recently, in the past couple years, there's this phrase being used called deconstruction, or I'm deconstructing my faith, or I have deconstructed. Last week, in, um, we talked about, uh, two weeks ago, in verse 23 actually, we talked about if you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel. And we talked about how those are construction terms, how we're supposed to be built upon the solid rock of Jesus Christ. And today, what's very popular right now is the opposite is happening, happening, where people have grown up in the church, they have claimed to be Christians, but now they are deconstructing their faith. They are tearing down their faith. They are changing their minds about Christianity. Now, I want to be clear here that we are not anti-change or anti-repentance. We constantly want to be reforming our lives and doctrines to be more faithful to what the Scriptures teach. So we, we want to change. We want to be more biblical. But deconstruction is mostly destroying faith in the Scriptures so that one can be more faithful to the culture. It's typically what's happening. But we want to uh, deconstruct our sin and be more faithful to God. Normally what happens in deconstruction is maybe someone will come to the conclusion that the Bible is wrong about sexuality or maybe that the church itself is too flawed and they've been hurt. Maybe they come to the conclusion that God isn't real and it's all a sham or that the claims that the Bible makes are not historical and therefore not worthy to be believed. And so they deconstruct, they tear down their old beliefs to usually reconstruct new ones that fit better with the culture of today. This is happening a lot. If you're online whatsoever, you, you see this a lot with um, popular authors, a lot of worship leaders, countless people in the church we don't know about. But this is not a new problem because the whole letter to Colossians is Paul writing to protect them from false teachers, to protect them from leaving the faith. Paul didn't want them to deconstruct. And it's important to notice in verse 5 here, we're going to start at the beginning, that Paul didn't think that they had deconstructed, but these were continuing, faithful, stable, steadfast believers. Look at verse 5. For though I am absent in body, yet I am with you in spirit, rejoicing to see your good order and the firmness of your faith in Christ. So Paul wasn't with them. That's a very famous, you know, we use that a lot. I'm not there, um, I'm there in spirit. I'm not there in body, but I'm there in spirit. So he's not in Colossae. He's never met these people, but he's hearing good things from Epaphras. And so Paul rejoices. He sees their good order and the firmness of their faith in Christ, which means doctrinally they're believing the right things, and they're not wavering in it. They're not wavering in their, in their belief in Christ, but they, they are solid Christians. These, these, these believers in Colossae aren't going anywhere. They're stable. They're steadfast. They're not shifting. They're good order. They're good ordered. They're firm in their faith in Christ. So I wanted to start at the end of this passage and show that's where we want to end up. Okay, that's who we want to be. We want to be Christians who have good order, good doctrine, believe the right things, and we're firm in our faith in Jesus Christ. So today's sermon is entitled, How to Not Deconstruct. Got three points. Have a struggling pastor... Get into knitting and understand everything. You do those three things, 
you won't deconstruct. Number one, have a struggling pastor. Verse one, for I want you to know how great a struggle I have for you and for those at Laodicea and for all who have not seen me face to face that their hearts may be encouraged. We're going to stop right there. And just so you know, the, the verse numbers, yeah, I hope you know this, aren't inspired. So I'm kind of like the verses are inspired, but the numbers, that one and that two, they just put those in there to help us. So I'm, I'm kind of splitting up there. So don't get too mad at me. So we're starting, we're ending there that their hearts may be encouraged. And sorry if that's hard for the video people up there. Okay. So last week, Paul was struggling. This is verse 29. For this I told, struggling with all his energy that he powerfully works within him. Now again, this week, Paul is saying that he wants the Colossians to know how great a struggle he has for them, which I think is kind of funny. Paul's saying, hey, I want you to know how hard I'm working here. Okay, I'm working really hard. Think about an athlete that lays out everything on the field, 110%. That's Paul in ministry. And this struggle is for people that Paul actually hasn't seen face to face. He hasn't met the people in Colossae. He hasn't met the people in Laodicea. And for all those who have not seen me face to face. So Paul is praying and he's suffering and he's writing to these people so that they won't deconstruct. So they won't get pulled away from Jesus into false teaching. And specifically, Paul is struggling with this goal in mind. How great a struggle I have for you. That, verse 2, here's the struggle that their hearts may be encouraged. Paul wants to lift up his people. Paul wants to give strength to the Colossians' walk. Paul wants to remind them of the good news of the gospel. He is struggling that the Colossians' hearts might be encouraged. So easy to be discouraged, isn't it? So easy to be anxious about the things in this world. Kind of like our default to be discouraged. Whether it's suffering or hard questions, persecution, distraction, fear, disappointment, maybe just apathy, but life is hard. And it can be really discouraging, and that discouragement can lead to doubt. And that's why you need a struggling pastor. You need encouragement from God's Word. Notice here in verse 2 that he wants their hearts to be encouraged. He's struggling so that their hearts may be encouraged. One commentator said references to the heart in the Bible require English speakers, which is us, to distance themselves from their own culture. For the strong tendency in modern English is to use heart with reference to emotions. Whereas in Scripture, heart designates the center of the personality. The source of willing and thinking in addition to feeling. So when we say heart, we often mean like the, the emotions we feel. But Paul means person, everything you are is what he means by heart. He wants your whole person, mind, heart, spirit to be encouraged. And if that's what Paul means, that means that Paul's goal as a struggling pastor is not just to make you feel better. Because if I just wanted your emotions to be encouraged, we could probably do that. But his goal is not to make you feel better emotionally merely, but it's to feed you with the truth of God so that you will have a heavenly perspective, a biblical worldview. That's what it means to have your hearts encouraged, is to see things the way God sees them, mentally, spiritually, emotionally, all of it. Okay, so he is struggling so that his people will be encouraged. 
Point number two, get into knitting. Being knit together in love. So he's struggling so that their hearts may be encouraged. Being knit together in love. The metaphor's obvious here, right? He wants them to be knit together. He wants them to be united, tied up in one another. He wants the believers, he wants the people in this room right here, this this church to be close in love, to be knit together. We read this a couple weeks ago. Paul David Tripp says, Love is willing sacrifice, willing self-sacrifice for the good of another that does not require reciprocation or that the person being loved is deserving. A great biblical definition of love. By this we know love, that he laid down his life for us. And we ought to lay down our lives for the brothers. That's 1 John 3.16. That's what love is. Laying yourself down. Think about soldiers on the battlefield. That's a close-knit group. They have this deep, unbreakable bond. They're brothers in arms. So much so they don't get distracted with drama when they're being shot at. They're watching each other's backs. They're willing to lay down their lives for the people in their squad. They share life together in such a deep, visceral way that they would do anything for one another. So how much so should we, in this room, be knit together in love? I just feel like so often we can fall short of that. I want to encourage us to be a people, to be a body, to be a church that serves one another and supports one another and encourages and shows hospitality to one another and prays for one another and refuses to gossip about one another and opens our lives to one another and considers one another more important than ourselves. Are we knit together? Do you feel knit to the people in this room right now? Do you feel knit together with the people who aren't in this room right now? Is the world shocked by how close we are as a church? Can people see our commitment to each other, our care for one another, our concern, our bond, our knit-togetherness? This is so important when we're talking about deconstruction because when people begin to drift away from the Lord, they drift away from God's people. I've seen it over and over and over again. Don't let this be you. Get your life so tied up into this community that it's hard to untangle yourself. Where it's annoying because if you don't show up, people notice. When when you're not involved, people notice. You need that. We need to be knit together in love. Hebrews chapter 3, verses 12 through 13 says, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it is called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. You see in this passage, there is a community responsibility. We can be very individualistic, where we think all we got to do is focus on our own walk with the Lord, our own selves, our own habits, our own sin. But this says, take care lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart. We should be so knit together in love that we feel when something's off with people. 
We should be so knit together in this bond as we are brothers in arms in this mission we are on in the kingdom of God that we notice when people are missing, when we notice when people are, are kind of drifting away. And the reason why we need to do that is because of the deceitfulness of sin. Sin is so deceitful and it can harden us sometimes so imperceptibly that we don't even notice it ourselves so that we can drift away from the things of God. So the answer to this is to be knit together in love so we can encourage each other every day. Do you notice that? It says, but exhort one another every day. So this is more than showing up on Sundays. That doesn't even check it off the box. But every day we need this encouragement to stay away from the danger of sin. That's why in Hebrews 10, 24 through 25, it says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another. And all the more as you see the day drawing near. I'm here to tell you this morning to get into knitting. To be knit together in love. And it, it really is hard to be knitted together when you aren't gathering regularly. It's... It's more than that, but it's not less than that. So commit to this group of people. Make church a priority. Get into a small group. Get your life intertwined with believers here because your life depends on it. We need to be knit together in love. Point number three is to understand everything. If you don't want to deconstruct if you want to stay a Christian, if you want to continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, all you need to do is understand everything. Intimidating, right? Look at the text. Starting at the end of verse 2. To reach all the riches of full assurance of understanding in the knowledge of God's mystery which is Christ, in whom are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. There is so much to know. And there are so many facts and so many lies and so many verses and so many arguments and so many opinions. And it's so easy to feel overwhelmed and inadequate and scared. And when we go into... We, we, we can get scared in evangelism. And in our doubts. And in our insecurities. Thinking that there is some big scary fact. That's just going to destroy our faith. So we need to put our head, heads in the sand. So it's like, I'm not going to share the gospel. Because what if the, the smartest atheist in the world, I, that's the first person I share the gospel with and I just get destroyed. Or, or I'm so, I'm, I, I'm struggling with these doubts and I'm afraid that if I see the wrong article, my faith's going to be destroyed or something like that. Or, or maybe you just feel insecure that you should know so much and you just don't. I have great news for you this morning, if that's you. In Christ is everything you need to know. Look at verse 3, it says, which is Christ, in whom, in Christ, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Jesus is not only the creator of the universe, and he's not only the sustainer of the universe, and he's not only the reconciler of the universe, as we've been talking about this past couple weeks, but also all wisdom and knowledge is hidden in Christ. 
All truth finds its source in Him. Every single treasure of wisdom and knowledge is found in Jesus. So often, we feel like we need to go elsewhere for wisdom and knowledge and truth. If we want to live a full life, we need the opinion of the world. We need to find some sort of teacher or guru or some self-help book or listen to some dude on Facebook. But listen, all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge are hidden in Christ. Everything you can know, everything you would want to know, everything you need to know is in Christ. Paul's saying, don't go elsewhere. Everything you're looking for is found in Jesus. This is truly a stunning claim, by the way, but God's word is clear that knowing Christ is the way to knowing everything. Or another way to say it is, all that is to be known is found in Christ. I want to be clear that this does not mean that if you know Jesus, you'll be able to change spark plugs or grow asparagus. That's not what I'm saying here. That's not, the, that's not the key here. If you know Jesus, you can do all those things. But it does mean that Christ is the explainer of our world. So if you want to know how did we get here, what is the purpose of the universe, you can look to Jesus and find that out. It also means that Christ is the guide to our lives. So if you want to ask how do we live, what should our lives be marked by, you can look to Jesus because he is our guide to life. It also means that Christ is the standard by which we judge truth and beauty and morality because Christ is the source of all truth and beauty and morality. So if you ask questions like what is truth, what is justice, What is beauty? What is righteousness? You can look to Jesus. But also, if you have questions like, what is injustice? What is hatred? What is ugliness? What is sin? You can look to Jesus. Because He is the standard by which we judge truth. In Christ, in Him, are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. That is a stunning claim about who Jesus is. And He says this for a reason. How can we know why Paul said verse 3? Look at verse 4. I say this in order that. So we know why he's he's teaching this doctrine. All knowledge and wisdom and truth are wrapped up in the person of Jesus. Why I say that? I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. Paul points to Christ being the fountain and source of all wisdom and knowledge to protect the Colossians from heresy from false teaching, from plausible arguments. A plausible argument, in this case, is an argument that seems to be true at first, but in reality is false. Paul doesn't want them to be deluded with plausible arguments. Deluded means to impose a misleading belief upon someone. It means to deceive. It means to fool. So Paul doesn't want the Colossians to be fooled by plausible arguments. Proverbs 18:17, be on the screen it says the one who states his case first seems right until the other comes and examines him. The Colossians were dealing with false teaching that wasn't stupid. 
it seemed plausible. It made sense. It was tempting. So we kind of have this knee-jerk reaction to treat like anything that disagrees with us. is like, well, how could you ever believe that? Which is true in a sense, but, but Paul here shows that the arguments are tricky. They're kind of hard to figure out. They're, they're plausible. And today, there are a lot of things that may sound plausible at first, where it's, it's, it's believable what you hear. Or, even more dangerous, it's an argument that you want to be believable. Because we end up believing those, right? There's, there's arguments today that make sense. They might appeal to your emotions, or they might be backed by a great story. And these abound in our world today. So the Colossians were dealing with a false teaching, a plausible argument, and I think we are today. And I want to list seven of these really quickly, not go into them too much. So here are seven plausible arguments that we deal with in our culture today. Number one, the plausible argument of scientism. And these all start with an S, uh, alliteration. Since I'm a pastor and everything. Uh, this argument of scientism argues that literally everything can be explained by science and natural causes. and There's no need for God whatsoever. Everything can be explained by nothing. Everything that exists just randomly evolved and is doomed to nothingness. Okay, the plausible argument of scientism. Number two, the plausible argument of spirituality. This argument is that Christ isn't deep enough. He isn't powerful enough. He isn't good enough. He isn't interesting enough. And you need to go elsewhere for a deeper spiritual experience. This is the one the Colossians were dealing with. It was do this more spiritual thing and then you'll really be saved from your sin. Uh, today this might be something like New Age mysticism. Number three is the plausible argument of social justice. Now, I, I want to nuance this a bit because if you hear this term, social justice... Uh, justice is a really biblical concept, and we want justice to be applied socially. Okay, so I want to be clear here. Um, but the argument of this plausible argument, I should say, the plausible argument here is to define justice by cultural values over and against biblical values. And what happens is we adopt the arguments of our social justice movement today, and then you go back to the Bible with your new worldview. And then the Bible is deemed as unacceptable, outdated, and easily rejected. And based on my experience, this plausible argument is the second leading cause of deconstruction. Normally when people leave the faith, it's because of, of something to do with sexuality um, or, or marriage or something like that. And they, they, can't, they can't accept the Bible's teaching, and so they go elsewhere, see these new arguments, and look back at the Bible and see it as flawed. Um, number four is, and remember that's just the second leading cause of deconstruction, I'll say. Number four is the, the plausible argument of subtraction. This is just classic, old-school theological liberalism uh, that the Bible would be more acceptable if it was less supernatural. So let's believe in the morality of the Bible, the teachings of the Bible, but let's take all the miracles out, all the supernatural stuff out, all the salvation stuff out, and just live by the guidelines. That's a plausible argument. Number five, the plausible argument of sentiment. This argument is that the gospel just doesn't feel true. The Bible doesn't feel true. Hell is scary and it's an awful idea. The cross is weird and just unacceptable today. Our culture doesn't sense God in the same way and so it just can't be true. Number six is the plausible argument of self-salvation. 
this argument is that Jesus is great, but to be accepted by God, you can't just trust in Jesus. You have to save yourself through good works. Like, you can't just believe in Jesus. You have to really do something. You see how that's kind of plausible? Because it doesn't sound right just to be saved by grace. Like, we've got to do something to be saved, right? We've got to add something to Jesus' work. It's a plausible argument. And finally, the most dangerous one. The plausible argument of sin itself. This plausible argument, plausible argument states that if you really want to live a full life, you need to break God's law. And it argues that God is restrictive and that true freedom and joy and wisdom and life and love is found outside of obedience to God's law. And really, truly, this is the first plausible argument ever given if you look in Genesis chapter 3. Read that later and see this was the first plausible argument against the gospel. So there we go. We have the plausible argument of scientism, spirituality, social justice, subtraction, sentiment, self-salvation, sin. It's a scary world. But we are protected from all of these by holding on to the truth that in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. So when you hear a plausible argument, run to Christ. Let Him be your protector, your teacher, your standard, your leader, judge, life, and God. Here's the key. Paul says, in Him are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I say this in order that no one may delude you with plausible arguments. So when you're facing an argument and you're trying to discern whether it's plausible or not, whether it's true or false, don't judge Christ by the argument, but always judge the argument by Christ. That's how you defend against false teaching, where you hear someone saying something, and you say, hold on a second, I'm hearing this, but in Christ are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. He is my explainer of the world. He is my guide to life. He is my standard for all truth, beauty, and morality. And holding on to that truth will defend yourself and will defend this church against false teaching and not being deluded. Christ possesses and is the source of all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. Now one really cool point is this happens in the church all struggling, in verse 2, that their hearts may be encouraged, being knit together in love. You see that? Being knit together in love to, 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 reach all the riches of full assurance and understanding and the knowledge of God's mystery, which is Christ. So, he wants them to be knit together in love in order that they can reach that understanding. You see that in the text. To reach all the riches. To reach all the riches. The purpose of the knitting is so that they can reach this assurance. So I'm here to tell you this morning that you don't reach this assurance through studying the Bible alone, through walking in the woods alone, and reading old books alone. By the way, I love all three of those things. I ask my wife if it's true. I'm all for all those three things. But... Full assurance of understanding and knowledge is reached together. When we are knit together in love, that's when we grow fully up into the knowledge of Christ. We need each other so that we can know that we know Christ truly and firmly. So let's be knit together. 
Let's reach to know Christ together with all of our heart, soul, minds, and strength. In conclusion, I know it's scary. There are millions of plausible arguments, and we are just not that smart. It reminds me of 1 John chapter 4. If you'll turn there with me in 1 John chapter 4. I want to encourage you. Paul's writing so they wouldn't deconstruct, so they wouldn't leave the faith. Scary things to think about. So we've talked about have a struggling pastor, which I hope you have. To be knit together in love, which I hope you're growing into. To understand everything which we can in Christ. But still... If it depends on us, look at 1 John chapter 4. It says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits to see whether they are from God. For many false prophets have gone out into the world. And then look at verse 3. And every spirit that does not confess Jesus is not from God. This is the spirit of the Antichrist which you heard was coming and is now in the world already. These verses talk about evil spirits, false prophets, the Antichrist. If it all depends on us, how could we not be deluded? How could we not be tricked? How could we ever survive? How could we not deconstruct? Look at verse 4. Little children, you are from God and have overcome them. For he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. In other words, how can we not deconstruct what is our true hope this morning to continue stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel? Christ in me. The source of wisdom. Christ in me, the fountain of knowledge. Christ in me, the sustainer of my faith. Christ in me, the overcomer of my doubt. Christ in me, the keeper of my soul. And as we heard last week, Christ in me, the hope of glory. He that is in you is greater than he who is in the world. So cling to Christ this morning. Realizing that He is your protector. He is your teacher. He is your overcomer. He is your protector and shepherd and God. Oh, Christ in you, the hope of glory. That is our hope this morning on continuing on this journey with Him. Christ in us. Is Christ in your heart? Have you repented of your sins and placed your trust fully in Christ alone for salvation? You can do that this morning. You can turn from death to life. You can, you can go from having you inside you and nothing else to having Christ inside you. It happens through faith alone. For the believers in this room, I want to encourage you to grow. I want to encourage you to take your next step in being knit together in love. Maybe you're a little guarded. Maybe you're a little distant. Uh, maybe maybe you, you're not opening yourself up. Maybe you're not serving and loving and, and challenging and being here. I want to encourage you to be knit together this morning. And then finally, understand everything. Look to Christ, the fountain and source of all wisdom and knowledge. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for this word. And God, I ask for your protection.
over the saints at Beach Grove. God, take this word, and I pray that you can challenge us this morning, God. We can be individualistic, we can be distant, we can be passive. God, will you help us be knit together? God, I've been, I've loved being a part of this church over the past month or so, and and the warmth, the, the kindness, the hospitality. But God, I know that we can grow I know that we can share more life together. I know that we can be closer. I know we can be more dedicated. God, will you make us knit together in love? Knit us together, Lord. Christ, in you are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. I pray that you can, through the power of your word, God, reveal that wisdom and knowledge to us, that we can realize that in you is all we need to know. In you is all we could possibly know, God. You are the source of all truth. You are the standard of all truth. God, will you, will you help us cling to that and protect us from plausible arguments? God, I don't want people to drift away from you. God, I don't want the saints in this room to, to, to not be stable and steadfast. God, I want them to Hold firmly to you and to the hope of the gospel. So God, I pray that through the power of your word this morning that you can reveal to us all the treasures that are found in you. And we can't get them all, but God, I pray that we can see a glimpse of who you are. Jesus, we praise you and worship you this morning. Hold us fast, Lord. In your name, Jesus.